Scripture reading this morning comes from the first letter of John, the second chapter, the verses 1 to 17. So that is 1 John, chapter 2, the verses 1 to 17. And there the Apostle John, writing under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments." Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling." But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word may. Romans 12, verse 2 reads, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect thus far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, some time ago, probably a number of months ago, I preached to you on the opening verses, or the opening verse of Romans 12, Verse 1, where it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, as well as sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship. What we hear in these particular opening words of chapter 12 are Paul's appeal for Christians to be dedicated. Paul is telling the Christians in Rome as well as elsewhere that they need to present their bodies as living sacrifices to God. Our lives, in other words, are to be considered like sacrifices or like offerings. Our lives are to be living, not dead, sacrifices or offerings. And our lives, it says, are to be daily offerings to God. Now, especially if you look at verse 1, it says, present your bodies. You might say the stress by using that word bodies is on the whole person, especially on the outward part of a person. So Paul is saying to the believers in Rome, present yourself, your bodies, your tongues that praise God, lips that speak truth, feet that walk in the ways of the Lord, hands that lift up the fallen, eyes that look to God, ears that listen to his word, and to the cry of the needies. So in everything, serve God. So Paul is making it clear that serving the Lord is not just an inner higher thing. It's also an external, outward thing. Our service to God, he says, is to be evident to everyone, everywhere. We are to be Christians in heart as well as in hand. But yet the Apostle Paul, as you can see in this particular chapter, is not finished. He has more ways to exhort believers and how they are to live in the world And so we come to verse 2, and I summarize the theme as don't conform, but be transformed. First of all, we'll look at the danger, then the challenge, and finally, the goal. Well, notice, beloved, that verse 2 opens, our text opens with the words, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world or to this world. And the word to conform means to mold or to shape yourself after something. It refers to a certain pose, or you might say, to adopting a certain type of conduct. And the negative not means that we are not, of course, to do this. And the tense is in the present, which means we are to do this continually. We are not to conform to this world. But why? Why should we not conform to this world? Are we just going to be a bunch of people who are obnoxious for obnoxious sake? Are we as Christians going to be known as a people who are hard to get along with or people who are difficult and disagreeable? No, beloved, to be a nonconformist means that we are not to conform to the pattern, it says, in the ESV, or I should say the NIV, which is clear not to conform to the pattern of this world. Now, it's interesting that word world that is used here really is the word literary age, and it's a negative word in this context. Sometimes the word world is positive, but here it is negative. You find the same word, for example, in Galatians 1, verse 4, where it says of Christ that he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And hence, Christians are to be difficult not in how they relate, you might say, to other people, 
But when it comes to this fallen world or age in which we are living, another translation or a paraphrase says, don't let the world around you squeeze you in to its own mold. So Paul is saying that the message of nonconformity is something that we need to heed. And of course, Paul is not alone in this because you find this particular message in the entirety of Scripture. For example, in the Old Testament, Leviticus 18, verse 3, you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. Or 2 Kings 17, 15, they followed worthless idols. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. Or Ezekiel 11, verse 12, you have not followed my decrees, you have conformed to the standards of the nations around you. And that's just the Old Testament. In the New Testament, of course, the Lord Jesus says, we are not to be like Pharisees and other people who are like them. And we have read in John 1, do not love the world or anything in the world. So, beloved, when it comes to this evil age, to this fallen world, the Scripture message is very clear. Do not be a conformist. Do not be a chameleon. Do not be a copy artist. Of course, that raises the question, why not? How are we to apply this? Well, some people say, well, you should actually adopt a list of vices, Vices that include things like smoking and drinking, dancing and playing cards. In certain fundamentalist circles, girls used to say, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with boys that do. It's a rather interesting quote. Others have a longer list and they say Christians don't conform to the world by avoiding dirty language, rock music filled with words about sex and violence, pornography and videos and books and the internet, wearing suggestive clothes, going to bars and discos, dating unbelievers, going to drinking parties, and the list goes on and on and on. Well, without condoning any of those things, beloved, I would say that what Paul is really getting at goes much deeper than this. It's not just a matter of behavior, of how we act or do not act. No, Paul's warning is rooted in his fundamental disagreement with the philosophies and the ideas of this age. So what are those philosophies, those ideas? Well, you can say one of them is secularism. The word secular perhaps comes closest to what Paul is saying in our text. Secular means basically without God. And secular comes again from the meaning of the word age. So the Apostle Paul is saying, do not be a secularist in your worldview. Don't remove God from your worldview. Some years ago, there was a famous astronomer by the name of Carl Sagan. He had a program, television program called Cosmos. And he is quoted as saying, the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. And of course, we have advertising slogans like, you only live once, 
or you are part of the now generation, according to Pepsi. You see, secularism teaches that every human value, every human activity must be understood in light of the present time. What matters is now, and only now, all access to the above and beyond is blocked. So there is secularism, a world without God. There's also humanism. That's a prevailing philosophy today. It's the view that everything is man and man is everything. Man is made into his own God. You know, it's like King Nebuchadnezzar who, looking out upon Babylon, said, Ah, is not this the great Babylon that I have built by my power, my mighty power, and for the glory of my majesty? Nebuchadnezzar was convinced that he was it. He was the epitome of being a human being. Such boasting, such vanity. No wonder that God turned him from a boaster for a while into a beast. And so many books and television programs today tell us, you know, your number one priority should be yourself. Look after yourself. Spoil yourself. You are ultimately what matters. And of course, by extension, everybody else really doesn't matter so much or matter at all. So there is today, there's secularism, there's humanism, there's also relativism, the idea that no absolutes exist in this world, that truth is relative, that it varies from person to person, time to time, culture to culture. You remember Pontius Pilate? Jesus says that he came into the world to testify to the truth and that Everyone who was on the side of the truth listens to him. And, and Pilate responded cynically, what is truth? You see, Pilate is the ultimate Roman, and to the Romans, truth is unknowable. It's the same thing that Paul meets in Athens. All kinds of idols, all kinds of gods, all kinds of truths, but ultimately it's all relative. And the result is, ultimately, that everything goes. It's all in flux. Everything is being questioned and re-questioned, and we see that today. Honesty, that used to be a noble virtue. Now it is a naive attitude. Abortion was once, believe it or not, a crime. It is now a choice. Living together without being married used to be disgraceful. Now it is merely called innocently cohabitation. Homosexuality was once a perversion. Now it's just an alternative lifestyle. Everything is relative because there are no absolutes and no norms. And then there is, of course, also materialism that we shouldn't forget. It's the view that life is to be lived in material terms. It defines happiness in terms of what you have, what you own, what you possess, what you can do, what you wear, what you buy, where you drive, where you live. 
You may remember the rich young ruler who came to the Lord Jesus. He wants to inherit eternal life, and the Lord Jesus mentions the Ten Commandments to him, the law, and he says, I've done it all. And then the Lord Jesus looks him in the eye and says, okay, my friend, you've done it all. Now, sell everything and give it to the poor. And he was very sad because he was hung up on his money and on his possessions. He went away sad because he worshipped mammon, money, rather than the Creator. And that's so much the story today, beloved. So many people worship matter. They, they worship it in the form of goods, in the form of dollars and cents. Sometimes they personalize it in terms of people, movie stars, baseball stars, hockey stars. In the end, the chief man, end of man is not to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, but the chief end of man is to shop on the mall, at the mall, or go to Amazon and buy your heart out. And so we have all of these philosophies that dominate in the world in which we live. And Paul says the answer is not in conforming to any of these philosophies. No, rather the answer is to be found elsewhere. It's to be found in being transformed. It resides in a changed life. It has everything to do with renewal. It comes from the inside. You see, conformity is something that happens to you from the outside. Transformation of your life happens, however, from the inside. To quote that earlier paraphrase again, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your mind from within. Another rendering is, do not adopt the external and fleeting fashion of this world, but be transformed in your inmost nature. You see, transformation, that's the call and the challenge for every child of God living in this present age. As a lowly caterpillar turns into a beautiful butterfly, so a lowly sinner turns into a raised saint. And so, beloved, we need to live in this world changed lives, new lives. And the word for transformation in the Greek language is a word from which we get our English word metamorphosis. And that describes a change of form or shape, structure, substance, character, appearance, whatever you have. And interestingly, it's used in Mark chapter 9, verse 3, in connection with the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says there, he was transfigured before them, before Peter, James, and John. And it means to say that a, a complete change took place in him. He became different. He glowed. He, 
He turned dazzling white, Scripture says. And it also is used, this word is used in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, to describe what happens not just to Christ, but what happens to believers. They are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so the question before us this morning is, is your life a conforming life? Or is it a transforming life? Is change happening in you for the better? And maybe you say, well, that's really not within my power, not within my ability. It's so easy, of course, to shove all of this aside but Scripture repeatedly says, if you're a Christian, this is, your, this is your responsibility. You need, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a child of the Heavenly Father, to live a transformed life. That's your duty and your calling. And that's the challenge that you need to take up every day. Yet Scripture also says that the power to accomplish this comes not from us. It comes from above, from the Spirit who works it. Paul says it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. To His own, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and what he does in us is transform us, change us, remold us, and renew us. That's what happens. But you might wonder, where does this change take place then primarily? Well, notice the Apostle Paul says, it happens, he says, by the renewal of your mind. Think about it. Isn't that a bit of a surprise? You'd expect the Apostle Paul to say, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal, for example, of your heart, or of your will, or your feelings, or your emotion. But Paul says, by the renewal of your mind. And why mind? Because the mind is the center of our conscious existence. And it's the place of understanding, the place where we store information, where we process it, analyze it, filter it, evaluate it, adopt it, reject it. You know, it has to be said that so often Christians, to use the expression of a well-known author, are said to be Keen, but clueless. Many of us are being viewed also today as a bunch of anti-intellectuals. They say we prefer ritual to reason. We would rather agitate than meditate. We love to feel. And we hate to think. Is that so? As a Christian, do you consider yourself to be kind of mindless, clueless, 
I know many people are today. They're, they're kind of clueless. They're fixated on their televisions and on their videos and on their computer games. And the result is they can't think anymore. Their thinking is superficial, if at all. They can't discuss. They are unable to discern. They can't judge. They don't think. Is that us? Well, Paul says it shouldn't be us. God gave us minds as he gave us hearts, as he gave us bodies. He gave us minds to use, to think. And of course, those minds have become filled with sin and they're darkened. But the Spirit comes and he renews our thinking and changes our minds. He renews it so we can study His Word and worship the Lord and serve Him and work as His servants in the world in which He places us. Yes, the Spirit renews our minds, and so we need to use it. Look at the last part of our text as well by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The point is that our renewed human spirit-filled minds are meant for discernment and appreciation and the appropriation of God's will. Some who claim to be Christians do everything on the basis of feelings and emotions. I'm sure you have met those people as well. Their Christianity is an emotional safari. But I would say to you, feelings and emotions are poor, poor guides. You know as well as I, they go up and down. They swerve here and there. They often can't tell the difference between sense and nonsense. Now, if you conclude from that that Christianity has no use for feelings or emotions, you're wrong. If God created our minds, He also has created our feelings and emotions. But yet, when it comes to knowing and doing the will of God, our renewed minds are what should direct us. We serve the Lord not just because we feel like it, but even when we don't feel like it. After all, with our minds, we know who He is, how great He is, what He has done for us in and through His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, beloved, be, be transformed. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to renew your mind, your thinking, your rational processes, and use those minds that He's given you. And then you will truly experience, Paul says, what is good and pleasing and perfect when it comes to God's will. And after all, that's really the goal of our life, isn't it? The doing of God's will. That should be the end and the climax of everything. 
Not man's will, not society's will, not the world's will. God's will, because it alone is true and right and pure and blameless and blessed. Only it matters. And so, beloved, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen.